We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We're going to turn now to Acts chapter 21. So we only have a couple weeks left in the book of Acts. We've been going through and basically hitting about a chapter a week as we do it, trying to really pull out like the main points of the story. Um, But hopefully you've been reading along and following along because there's a whole lot more that could be said that I don't say in the short time I get once a week, right? Uh, and a whole lot more that you guys would find that the Spirit would speak to you that I missed as well. And so I encourage you just to be in that book. It's such a good book. Here's the reason we've been going through it is we're seeing uh, in the Gospel of Luke, the book that Luke wrote to a guy named Theo, he said in that first book, he wrote all about Jesus began to do and teach. But then he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke did the same guy. And what he wrote about in Acts is what Jesus continued to do through his spirit being at work in ordinary men and women, right? And even children. So we're, we're seeing God at work, Jesus doing his work through his spirit, giving his people, his followers, the power to do certain things. And it's been an incredible book and it's showing us what the church, the early church looked like even when Jesus had gone and ascended to be with his father in heaven. So they didn't have him walking around with them physically anymore, but they now became this physical embodiment of Jesus because his spirit was with them. And so he calls the church his body. Like, think about that. When when you think about like your own body, you think about your own hands and your own feet and legs and all that, right? And Jesus calls us his body, that he's moving and interacting in this world through us. Isn't that incredible? Like, raise your right hand right now. Everybody do it. Okay, now raise your left hand. All right. Now, who did that? (laughs) You're like, well, you told me to do it, but I didn't make you do it, or you could have not done it. In fact, there were a couple of you who just ignored me when I said it. But... You, your mind told your body to do something and it did it. Do you know that that's how Jesus wants to operate through us? That his spirit is moving his body, us, through this world. And it's actually Jesus's mind, his power, his choices, his desire, his will that is moving his people through this earth and through this world and throughout our life. So that the things we do, we can try to fight against that and do things in our own power and say, no, no, this body is mine. But the Bible tells us actually, no, our body belongs to him because we are part of his body. And when we surrender to what Jesus wants for us, we actually find a better, more full, more satisfying life when we participate with what he's doing because that's what we were made for. And so we want to go through the book of Acts because we see that that's still true today. We still are Jesus's body, those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, empowered by his spirit to do the things that his father wants in this world. Amen? So we're seeing that, not just here and today, but also way back then in the book of Acts. And there is lots of characters we got introduced to 
at the beginning of Acts and things that God was doing in Jerusalem through them. And then it started to shift and tell stories of this guy named Paul and some of his friends and what they were doing in other nations. And now what we're going to see in Acts 21 is some of those people coming back together again, like this body that was spread out. And then they, we get a little reunion tour. If you guys have ever seen like uh, the series finale of a show, right? And like they bring back all the old characters for like the last time. And you're like, oh, I remember that character, right? There is a show called Boy Meets World that I watched when I was a kid growing up. And uh, my kids actually started watching it a couple years ago too. But there, it ran for a long time. It was like it started when he was in like sixth grade and then went through when he was in college. But one of the, his like senior year in high school, one of those final episodes, because they didn't think they were going to get more seasons, they brought back all these characters uh, there was this one kid named Minkus, if you guys watched the show and you remember. And you're like, oh my goodness, where has he been? And they said that, and they're like, oh, where have you been? And he's like, you guys, I still go, I've been going to this school the whole time. You just don't pay attention to me. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny joke. But it's like they were bringing in all these old characters, and you're like, oh yeah. And that's kind of what we'll see in Acts 21. Oh, I remember that guy. I remember that girl. I remember stories that God did through them, but we're seeing them come back together. So Read with me. We're going to read the first 19 verses of Acts chapter 21. And I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. And if you remember where we left off last week is Paul had told the Ephesian leaders, hey, I'm not going to see you again. And so they had uh, a kind of sad farewell with one another. He knew where I'm going, I'm not coming back. And so continue trusting in the Lord, continue walking in the power of the Spirit, and had like a very tearful goodbye with one another. So in verse 1 of chapter 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them. This is one of the reasons why I chose this translation today. Uh, some, some of your translations might say, after we departed from them. But the, the Greek word that was used there was a literal, again, think about the body being torn apart. This was a hard thing. After we had torn ourselves away from these people we loved, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre. So basically, kids, they're going to a lot of places, right? <laughs> but he's on a journey. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. So they landed at Tyre, where their ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. So Paul gets another farewell with people he knows he's not going to see again. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. There's one of our characters we're being reintroduced to. If you remember Philip, one of the seven, that was the seven people they chose to help make sure everybody was getting served at the table. Uh, what many people say they're one of the first deacons, right? And so that's Philip there. He's also the guy who went and preached to the Ethiopian eunuch and baptized him. 
So now here he's called Philip the Evangelist, which just means he, he says good news. He goes around spreading good news. He had, this is verse nine, four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now we're not gonna hear any more about them actually, but that's an interesting little note right there that Luke makes sure to tell us. He had four daughters who had, and in the original language there seems to mean that they had decided, kind of like nuns today, that they were not going to get married, that they were keeping themselves uh, free from that, free to serve the Lord. And God was using those four women, those daughters of Philip, to speak his words to other people, like his mouthpiece, that part of the body, right? The spirit speaking through them. And listen, that's an interesting detail for Luke to include in a culture that did not value women the same way they valued men. It wouldn't be in there if he was trying to make up a story and convince people. It's only in there if it's true. That God works through men and women and children. We are all part of his body and we all have an equal role to play and he desires to do things through each one of us. So that's an important just little side note right there that he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. They spoke the words of God to the people who would listen. Verse 10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, Agabus showed up earlier in Acts 2. He came and warned them that there was going to be a famine throughout all the world. So here he is again. He came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When we would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. We actually hadn't heard of this guy before in Acts, but what we're seeing is while Paul and his friends are on a journey, bringing people to know Jesus and other nations, the people who stayed who were followers of Jesus, like Peter and John and James and Philip, that they continued to share the good news right there in Jerusalem and Judea. And many people were coming to know the Lord there. And so God was building and growing his church. He was one of the early ones who heard that news and believed. Verse 17, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And that was the last one, at least for now, that we'll see. We're reintroduced to James. Do you remember him? He was part of the council in Acts who said, no, no, no. People of other nations, they don't have to get circumcised to be part of the body. They don't have to follow these, these rituals and laws that once were a thing we had to do because now there's freedom in Jesus. And your identity is not in that anymore. Your identity is in trusting in Jesus as your savior, your king, and your rescuer. And so James was one of the ones making that decision. It's most likely also James, who is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus and who wrote the letter of James that's in our Bibles. And so 
Paul goes and he stays with him there too. Remember, Paul one time was a guy who was persecuting James and his friends. He was running after them and trying to throw them in prison or even have them killed because of them following Jesus. And now he's welcomed in as family. He's welcomed in as part of their own body, that they they receive him warmly into their home. That's what that means. And so there's a whole lot going on right here. Let me pray though real quick first, and then we'll dive into a couple key things we saw there that could be confusing, but we're gonna see, I think, something that Jesus still wants to speak to his body today. Father, we ask that as we look at Acts chapter 21 and as we have many thoughts and ideas and things that are not even related to this morning swirling on in each of our heads and many potential distractions, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us, that your voice would break through all the other noise and that we would hear from you and be transformed by you that we would see the life that you offer to us and that we would, by the power of your spirit, choose to live fully in it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many of you have ever done something really, really hard before? Something really difficult. All right, the rest of you are just coasting through life, trying to take the easy way out. I get it, it's tempting. Uh, I want to hear, what are some of the difficult things you've had to do? Those of you who raised your hand. Maya? Cut down a baby bush? What did that baby bush ever do to you? (laughs) He's growing too big, yeah. You had to cut down a baby. Yeah, those can be hard, right? Especially getting the root out of the ground. Did some hard work there. Why did you do it? Because your mom and dad told you to. because I didn't like them. Okay, that's a fair reason. You just, you wanted it gone, right? So you did the hard work of making it, of clearing it out of the way. Okay. Anyone else? What are some other hard things you've done? Yes, thank you, Chad. Say goodbye to someone you love. That's hard, isn't it? That's really hard. Uh, those, I'm not going to ask you why you did that one, because there's a lot of reasons, and we, we usually don't choose that one, right? Um, we saw that in this story, though, right? Like, people had to say goodbye to Paul. Paul had to say goodbye to people he loved. And it's a hard thing. What else? Other hard things you had to do in life? Anna? A test? Absolutely. Yeah. Tests can be very difficult. Crystal? Raising kids. Totally worth it, though, you guys. Totally worth it. But it's hard, Right? Yeah, absolutely. Liam, going to school. Yeah, being a kid, right? You adults think you got a hard raising kids. Try being a kid. Aaron, birthing children. Absolutely. I wouldn't know, but I'm taking your word for it. And I've heard it's pretty difficult. Avery, having siblings. Yeah. Yeah, that can be difficult at times, for sure. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Yeah, Isla, you said? Isla, thank you for sharing that. She said something hard for her was moving away from where her home once was, 
having to kind of start over, get a new home. Absolutely, that can be so difficult. Thanks for sharing that. Anna, you got another one? Yep, chores. Those are the worst. Beckett? I heard. You know, that day I picked my kids up from school, the very first thing Liam said to me when he got in the truck was, Beckett did a backflip on the ground, not on a trampoline, on the ground. So that's impressive, dude. Good job. That was probably very hard to learn how to do that. All right, last one, Avery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so not just you moving away, but others you know and love moving away. Yeah, sometimes life can be hard, right, guys? There's hard things in life. Uh, But here's the thing. Living takes courage, doesn't it? Like just being a human who's alive, it takes courage. There's a lot of hard things that present themselves. Uh, And sometimes the things that are most difficult, that are most hard, actually are the most worth it. They're the things that will actually bring the best reward in the end, right? Or find the most joy and satisfaction on the other side of it. But it seems really difficult at first. And there's a decision that we have to make. Do we want to step into that or not? And the half of you that didn't raise your hands that you do hard things, like you don't step into those things. That's okay. I'm one of those people too. And so my prayer is we would grow in that, right? Uh, But if we have a a choice to say, I'm going to withdraw from that or I'm going to lean into that. And what would make us make the choice to do the hard things? There's got to be something worth it to us on the other end, right? But it takes courage just just to go through life. It takes courage to ride your bike for the first time or to do a backflip on the ground for the first time. It takes courage to go up and talk to that girl or boy at school for the first time, right? It, It takes courage to admit when you've wronged somebody, doesn't it? And to ask for forgiveness. It it takes courage to say goodbye to someone that you've loved. It takes courage to go and try new things and maybe move to a new city. It takes courage to decide you're going to marry somebody as you get older. And, And it's fun at first maybe, but then it takes courage to stick it out day after day after day for your life. It takes courage to bring children into this world not knowing how you're going to do as a parent or how you're going to take care of them and provide for them. It takes courage to be a friend to somebody. It takes courage to go to that first job interview or to go off to school, to college. All of these things take courage in life, and yet we step into those often, don't we? Because somewhere deep down we know, even though there may be hard stuff through this, even though I may lose something through this, I may have to sacrifice something, even though I may mess it up at times, even though I may get hurt in the process, there's something worth it on the other side of this. And ultimately, all of us are living for something. And at the end of the day, all of us are willing to die for something. And that may not sound true at first, but if you really think about it, if you really think about this, the person who says, I'm just even going to take the easy way out and live life as comfortable as I can is banking on that one day when they die, because we all do, that they have lived their life in a way that actually has meaning and they're banking on whether or not there's a creator who approves of that life. Like, you're willing to die for something. 
the life that we're living is what we're saying we're willing to give it all for. And I think what we see in this story is Paul is being faced with the question, are you willing to even die for this? What we've seen so far in his story is he's been willing to give his life to live for something. And that something is sharing Jesus with the nations. That he's willing to give all of his life rhythms, his days and his nights, his comings and his goings, his travels, his expenses, for the sake of people knowing who Jesus is and hearing good news that you too can have full life in him. And now he's faced with the question, are you willing to even die for it? And it's interesting because we're told that a couple times he's faced with people who are also hearing from the spirit, from prophets who hear God saying something very specific. Listen, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to go bad. It's not going to go well for you. And Paul still does it, right? Can you guys think of any other point in the story of the Bible when God, because these people are speaking through God, when God says to somebody, if you do this, it's going to go bad for you. Maybe a story early on in the Bible, in Genesis. Anybody think of anything come to mind? You can say it. You're just waiting for me to say it, huh? If you eat from this tree, you will what? You will surely die. Now, you you hear that and you go, wait a second. God's giving Paul this warning. If you go to Jerusalem, you will surely be bound into chains. And then Paul still goes. And you go, at first glance, is he being disobedient? Right? Like we're literally told that they spoke through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, they said, don't go to Jerusalem. This is going to happen to you. And so this could be really confusing for some people. And then Paul still goes, right? Now, here's the thing. Paul's not a perfect person. So on one hand, you go, this could be a story of maybe he wasn't supposed to do that. But actually, what we're told later in Scripture even is that Paul himself knew this as well. The Spirit actually spoke this to him, and we'll get that when we come back to uh, what happens with Paul in Jerusalem over the next couple weeks. That he talks about this moment when Jesus spoke to him himself through the Spirit, exactly what was going to happen. But his words weren't, do not go. You see, what the other people were hearing through the Spirit was, something bad is going to happen to you, Paul. And so then their response to that is, then don't do it, right? Their response is, don't go to Jerusalem. The Spirit told us, here's what's going to happen when you get there. So here's our response, just don't go, right? How many of you, if I told you right now, like, hey, if you go home after this today, your kids, you're going to get grounded. How many of you are going to be like, oh, I'm not going home, <laughs> right? If I told you guys, when you go into work tomorrow, adults, like something bad's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this from the spirit. I'm hearing this. I'm not really. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I just, I'm calling in sick tomorrow, right? But Paul hears this and he goes, you guys, I know. He's been saying the same thing to me. I know what's coming. And his response is, 
Not only am I willing to be bound in chains, but I'm willing even to die for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm willing to even give my very life that, that they might kill me. And I'm willing to give that up so that other people would know about Jesus. And we talked about last week, Paul's end game. He's not just trying to get to Jerusalem, but he's also trying to get on a boat there and travel all the way to Rome. And then finally, Italy. Oh, I'm sorry, Rome is Italy. And then finally, Spain. Because to them, Spain was the ends of the earth. And what he wants to do is that all nations, all people, the ends of the earth would all hear the good news of Jesus. And he's willing to give his very life for that. Now listen, this is not just because Paul's amazing, right? This is because Paul has not only heard from the spirit what's going to happen to him as a warning and as a, hey, get ready for this, but it's because he's also heard the good news from the spirit. Do you remember that when Paul was cruising around trying to persecute Christians, he's trying to get them locked up or maybe even have them killed, that Jesus himself appeared like a bright, blinding light in front of him and stopped him in his tracks. And he saw Jesus and he heard from Jesus, not just, hey, you need to knock this off, but he also received an invitation to come and find real life in Jesus. See, Paul was on a mission before. He was already giving his life for something. It was just the wrong thing, right? He was giving his life to put a stop to people following Jesus. And he was bent on that mission. Then he heard good news from Jesus. And he was invited into real, true life through him. And his whole mission changed. Did a 180. And he then gave his life and ultimately was willing to even die for the sake of people knowing this good news too. Now, what we see in this story is there's a couple different responses you could have to this news, right? That there are some people who are saying, Paul, if you're going to get injured or inconvenienced or thrown in jail for this thing, then just don't do it. It's not worth it probably, right? And don't we often have that response ourselves? Like God's calling us clearly to something, but we see there's a cost to it. Now we don't talk about that a lot when we're trying to give good news to people, right? When we're inviting people to come live in Jesus, we're like, oh, you're gonna be so blessed and God's gonna make your life better. And oh, life is just so much better with Jesus. Like, won't you just come say this prayer with me and come to church with me, you know? But that's not what Jesus talked about. He talked about counting the cost to come and follow him, taking up your own cross, And in the same way, Paul's getting that word too. Like, no, this is going to be hard, but it's worth it in the end. You will find life. And not only that, you'll be able to share that life and invite others into it as well. And so Paul's response is much different from theirs. But in the end, they hear that and they go, you know what? Whatever the Lord's will is. And I want us to see something that's happening there. I want us to see something very key because there's some symmetry going on here with this story and the story of Jesus, who was told by Peter, don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, remember that really harsh sounding statement, get behind me, Satan, right? Because not that 
Peter was Satan, but the words that were coming out of his mouth then was an invitation to move away from what God had called him to. See, what we see is actually a reversal of that garden story I talked about. That God has words of life. Only eat from this tree. And the rest of the trees in the garden, good, but not this tree. So let me rephrase it. Only do not eat from this tree, right? There's one tree you can't have. Every other tree you can have, including the tree of life. And then the serpent comes in and he goes, actually, God's trying to hold out the abundant life from you. Like there's more you could have. And that invitation actually leads to death, right? Now you get this reversal where now because death has permeated all of existence, Jesus himself comes and the words of God are telling him, now you go into death. And then the serpent's showing up still trying to whisper, no, no, no. See, God's trying to hold back life from you. Don't go to Jerusalem. Stay away from that. And he knows actually that choice is going to lead to death for all. Jesus knows he needs to enter in to the death on our behalf. And in the same way, you got all these people telling Paul, hey, don't go, don't go. But Paul knows, no, no, I need to enter in and even be willing to enter into death myself so that others would have life because he's imitating Jesus. Not because he is as good or as powerful or loving even as Jesus, but because remember, we have been made the body of Christ because of the power of the spirit of Jesus dwelling within us. So that even a man like Paul who was trying to kill Christians before can now imitate Jesus and give his own life for them. It's this great reversal that happens. There's a third way to respond to this though, right? At the end of the story, we hear about the Jewish believers and they hear about what Paul's been doing, that he's inviting other people to come and worship their God. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not cool with that. And what we'll see starting the next time we pick up in Acts, it starts to happen here right in chapter 21 as they beat him. In fact, there's a certain point where it says, after someone came out and talked to them, they stopped beating Paul. And you got to wonder like, well, how long were they beating him for? And they bind him just like that prophet told him what happened to him. And then he has to start going before council after council to try to defend himself. But they keep him bound in chains. And that's the way he gets to Rome, by the way, which is where God wanted him to go. It's exactly what God wanted, but it's hard. And that third response from those other Jewish people is, oh, is this what God's doing? No, 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 we don't want that, right? Because they had a different agenda in mind for what God would be doing in the world and with them. They weren't united around the same things. Paul himself was a Jewish person who practiced all the Jewish laws and customs, yet they said, that's not enough. This thing you're talking about with Jesus, that actually is what's going to separate us now, what's going to tear us apart from one another, fellow Jews. And I want us to see that part of the story because listen, there's a lot of things you can give your life for in this world. There's a lot of things you could be willing to die for in this world. And what I'm afraid of is that sometimes, even here in this room, We've chosen the wrong thing that we're living for, that we're giving our life to. And so then what happens is when someone else in this room says, no, no, I'm giving my life for this, that starts to breed disunity and division. And it tears the body apart. 
But when we all together say, I am living my life, I am willing to die even for one thing. And it's the very thing that's actually gonna give us new life in the end. It's the very thing that's actually going to help us to truly live the way we were meant to be. We are giving our lives for people hearing the name of our Lord Jesus and that alone. Then listen, there's gonna be a lot of other secondary things that people have preferences on and those will seem to not matter. They will matter less and less as we go. And then you start to see unity in the body, not being torn apart, but held together because we have the same thing we're living and dying for. And I, I think what often happens is we talk about unity in the body and we talk about how like we need to be held together and love one another because of the gospel. But what happens is we're still kind of living for this other thing. And then we go, well, I guess I got to put up with you because we're part of the church together. But when we're actually living for the gospel, you, you actually build a friendship. You actually enjoy one another. You actually build deep bonds that cannot be broken over preferences and differences. And we see that here. Paul had his differences with James when he went and met with them in the council, right? And he had his differences before that when they were persecuting each other. But he welcomes him warmly into his home and says, you're my brother, we're family, we're the body together. And he does not want Paul to be harmed because now they're united around the thing that really matters. You guys, I'm praying that that becomes more and more true of each of us every single day. There's only one thing worth giving our lives over, only one thing worth dying for, but it's the thing that in the end is so worth it because not only do we find life, but it's an invitation to bring others into that life as well. Paul was willing to give his life for the sake of the nations. Jesus was willing to give his life for the sake of the world. We'll end here, but read with me in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. The author of Hebrews writes this about Jesus. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's just talking about in chapter 11, a bunch of people throughout history they named who were willing to give their life for what God had called them to by God's grace and his power. Since we, we know all that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. All the other things we've been giving our life for. Let's throw that off. It hinders us, it entangles us, you get caught up in it. Let us throw all that aside and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. That's the one thing. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, this is going to be hard. Father, could you even take this cup from me? If there's any other way, Jesus prayed. He is sweating blood for the anxiety and the fear of what's going to happen to his body. He knows it's going to be hard, but for the joy set before him, he knows this is worth it. Why? Not because he would be crowned in heaven after that. He already had all that. But for the sake of the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Jesus gave his life up 
so that you and I could be brought in. We need the power of Jesus' spirit in us to live like that. But we see that it's possible because a person like Paul even, coming against the church with the power of the spirit, he can emulate Jesus. And listen, you guys, so can you and I. Even today, in 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona, we are still the body of Christ filled with his spirit. Would you pray with me?